Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. So today I'm going to talk about, next slide please, wisdom, the gift of wisdom. I hadn't intended on um, talking about it. I actually was going to give Melody that word, and then just as the day has unfolded, I realized that it was um, on his heart. Um, let's visit a couple of scriptures, shall we? In 1 Peter 4.10, you can just listen with me for a second. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Every believer, are you a believer? This is a good time to turn to your neighbor and say, Hey, have you received Jesus as your personal Savior? Now, if they haven't, and they said no, then make sure you help them receive Jesus before they leave today, okay? So I'm talking to believers today. Did you know that there's some things in the Bible that... I just need some Carmex or something on these. Because I just see everybody putting on lip gloss, and I'm like, I need need something on mine. I thought you were going to throw it. Danka. Ooh, what's on that? Um... <laughs> There's different instructions for believers than there are for unbelievers, and why is that? In fact, Jesus even said, remember, he specifically talked in code. Don't you love that about Jesus? He talked in code and he said in parables, in metaphors, and he said that I did that for what reason? To hide it from those who haven't haven't believed. So that means that all believers have a secret code from the Holy Spirit that a non-believer doesn't have. That's why you have all this joy and you have all this hope and this promise. And they're like watching the news thinking, see, I was telling Cece this, that in my lifetime, so I'm just 60, in my lifetime, I have never seen the move of God and His Spirit outpouring on all flesh like is right now. That means that there wasn't like a day when I was like 10 years old and I was like, oh, Oh, it's really great, and this is worse. This is so much better. And there is stuff happening all over the planet that you don't even know about. And so God is on the move. He's doing these amazing things, and so He's he's always laying out an invitation at whatever point in your life that you want to just say yes. And then when we say yes, we get all the believer's goodnesses, right? Right? Every believer has received grace gifts. Got it? Got it? Right? Every one of you. The Holy Spirit, He didn't leave anything out. He didn't leave anybody out. You've got it. You've got gifts, okay? So use them to serve one another as faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestry of God's grace. How many have experienced this many-colored tapestry? See, this is why God loves diversity so much. That's why He made no human, even no human fingerprint the same. He loves diversity. He loves that we are this many-colored strand that makes up. And see, when we lean into that I am a believer and I've meant to be in a tapestry with people, think about a tapestry. The string over here is just one color, one line in a complete mosaic. If you just looked at the lines, some of them look a little wavy. Some of them look a little straight. Some of them look ombre. Some of them look... 
Uh, did you like that word? See, I'm a colorist. I got some words like that. But when you stand back and you pan back, what do you see? You don't see those single strands. You see the beautiful artistry of how you just leaned in and just brought your one little strand, but then with God it made this beautiful picture. And see, that's what our grace gifts are supposed to do to believers. I have gifts I'm giving to you to do what? My gift of encouragement to these two young ladies, what does it do? It gives them a hope for the future. It gives them something to think about tomorrow when they get up. It gives them a promise that God says is going to happen on their pathway. And that's that builds up their courage. I can't go to work with them. I can't be at everybody's job tomorrow. Nate, I can't be at your job tomorrow. I can't be at everybody's job, but my words can be. Right? And so... You know, when you take when you take and you look at our gifts like that, and so I'm I'm talking about another gift today. I've been talking about the gifts of discernment, and why is it is so vitally important? Have any of y'all had any demons at your house this week? <laughs> Beautiful. What did you do with them? Did you play with them? Did you sit down and have breakfast with them? Did you punt them out? You know, see that. Remember, I I y'all don't remember because. Yesterday at the healing room training, I talked about that the enemy can't live in you if you're a believer. So he his only power is through suggestion. And depending on what I do with that suggestion. So if he says, if he makes the suggestion, hey, you don't feel good. You may actually not feel good, but the suggestion to not do anything about not feeling good. Because what, what does the Bible say we can do with not feeling good? It said we can call some people. We can call some old people at church, is what it said, the elders. We can call some old people at church. <laughs> call some older people, spiritually speaking, that is. Right? Do you know who's older than you spiritually? Call some, some people and say, I need some prayer. What do we do? We don't tell anybody. You know what we say? Oh, I don't want to trouble them. Come on, let's be honest. I don't want to trouble my mom too. I know they're busy. They, in fact, you try to think about everybody else's schedule to see how busy they are. Maybe they're literally laying on their face right then, interceding for people, and you're like, I don't want to bother them. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, there's where your healing is right there. See, God gives us instruction on how to do this life better. We all want to do it independently, but he didn't make any tapestry. What would one string look like hanging up? I'm just going to get one string next week. I'm just going to hang it on the wall, and I say, I made this beautiful art piece for y'all to look at. Look at this tapestry. Right? We need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need each other. We need, or something that makes more sense to you. We need each other. So let's read it again, or that every believer has a gift. And every believer can serve one another and be faithful stewards to help our strings stay together. You know, when you're sick, like we have a couple of people sick. Roly's sick today, Bailey's sick today, Lenny was sick on Wednesday. Does anybody miss Roly? Does anybody miss Bailey? So tell them next time. Give them a little ringy-jingy-dingy day today and say, hey, we were praying for you today. Let's just pray for them right now. Holy Spirit, I just break loose on their house right now. I speak healing over there, and I release the power of God over them. It's that easy. 
And now you can tell her you prayed for her. Send her a text. Say, we were thinking about it. What's that going to do to her? Did she text y'all y'all and tell y'all she was sick? She did? A couple people? Look at there. She reached out to a couple people. Let's give her a hand. Golf clap. Now you get to tell her, hey, we were thinking about you in service. We were praying for you. What do you think that will do? Will that make her sicker? Or will that encourage her? It's that simple. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. You don't want to leave it up to one person. Everybody's got a phone pretty much. Everybody can text. I know you don't. But it's okay. Mostly everybody does. Use it for something good. Now, um, I got so much. Let's see what we want to talk about. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Are y'all good? First Corinthians 12. Let's just start at one. My fellow believers, I'm reading right now in the Passion. I want to jump around. Um, I don't want you to be confused about spiritual realities. Now in the Amplified it says, now about spiritual gifts, the special endowments given by the Holy Spirit I don't want you to be uninformed. That's how I feel. I'm trying to inform you of some godly information that is actually in existence in you. Isn't that cool? Now, I know all of us aren't really good. We're not even that great at discerning spirits. But you can kind of begin to tell when that doesn't feel good, right? Now, as you mature, then... God will actually use a past experience that you've had. So let's just say that um, you had a past experience with a relationship that wasn't good for you. And now as you grow, as you grow in your spiritual giftings, you'll begin to sense that same feeling in another person that you had back in the day. It's not an indicator from the Holy Spirit that you've got a problem. It's an indicator that you have an anointing to reach into their heart and help them. Can you see the difference at all? Anybody? Some of y'all that have been here a long time are looking at like me at a cafe at a new gate. And I'm thinking this is nothing new. This is not new knowledge. So listen, you, God, you have given God permission as a believer to flow through your life. And so what is the flow? The flow is from Him, it's love, through my heart, out, right? It just keeps going. Love goes out. What is God doing to protect love? He's revealing in our hearts what keeps us separated from Him. Right? right. right? So whenever I come up with someone who doesn't know Jesus, what is God trying to do with me through them? to them? He's trying to reveal the love of God that they're lost without a shepherd. Now that I'm a believer... What is he trying to do through me to them? He's trying to help me mature them. When you're a believer and you can see where someone is, ooh, they're a little bit off. We're discerning. They're a little bit off. He wants us to encourage one another with love to say, hey, that's not going to work for you, bud. And he wants us to reveal to them why. 
why we know that. Why do we know that we need that's that is this spirit of wisdom that he's trying to activate. So he says, you know full well that when you were unbelievers, you were often led astray in one way or another by your worship of idols. What's a worship of idols in today's world? Yeah, when we're just giving our affection to something else besides God, our affection, attention, our focus, right? It says, which were incapable of talking to you. So that tells me that God's capable of talking to you. Or he would have said, like all those other idols, God can't talk to you either, right? It's an understood kind of an English thing. It's an understood sentence structure that says God's capable of communicating with me his heart. We've got new air conditioning today. Am I freezing y'all out? No. Okay, Phil, we can't check with you because you're not a good indicator. I'll turn it down a little bit. How about that? Because even Anthony's got his cold on today. It's okay. I don't want you to be frozen, chosen. So then he goes on to say, so now because God can talk with you, I'm going to impart some some understanding. No one speaking by the Spirit of God would ever say Jesus is the accursed one. In other words, Jesus isn't Lord. So the Holy Spirit wouldn't be capable of speaking that through you. So if you hear someone cursing God or someone saying something against God, then that's a indicator of what you can go after with them. Right? If they're a believer and they're saying things that doesn't line up with the God you know, and you have this permission to say, hey, I think you're in some fear. I think this spirit of fear is sitting on your shoulder talking to you. Did the spirit of fear sit on anyone's shoulder today and talk to them? So what did it say? You've got to be able to know what it says. No, it's not God. Right? If you're an intercessor, then God wants to tell you what people are afraid of. It says no one can say Jesus is the Lord Yahweh unless the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. So that tells us again the Holy Spirit's role in our life. He's the one that helps you know who God is. It is the same Holy Spirit who continues to distribute many different variety of gifts. The Lord Yahweh is one, and he is the one who apportions to believers different kinds of ministry. So that tells us there's two roles right there. I wish I had time to talk about it today. Maybe I will someday. But the Holy Spirit is distributing gifts And Jesus is actually overseeing the ministry. So do you see, do you understand that gifts flow into our ministry out here, right? So if I have the gift of wisdom, which we're talking about today, then my wisdom should encounter somebody that that has something missing that I have the opportunity to speak to. Anybody ever been able to do that? Oh. There's three people. Okay. Well, you might end up having to get to do that this week. You may end up talking to somebody that you know something about something that they don't know anything about. Now, my delivery matters. You know, I've known truth. My mom says I came out of the womb knowing truth. But my delivery wasn't very diplomatic for a really long time. Anybody? No, I'm talking about, oh, oh yeah. Nate's got to get back a little. He's like, that's too close. <laughs> so where do I learn this diplomacy of love? 
I actually learned it, got to hear my, I actually learned it through experience. Have you ever saw something and you knew it, like you knew it, like you're like, oh, I know what this is. Like I just, the Holy Spirit's flowing through me and you tried to deliver it and the person's like rejecting. Anybody ever had that happen? Well, what does that feel like? Now, see, we were at Panera the other day, me and Cece and Pammy, and there was a guy in there that was, um, he was, um, he was a demoniac. How about that? He was demon-possessed. I'll just say it. He was, he was trying to think of a nicer word. He was demon-possessed. And so I pointed him out to um, Cece and Pam. Now, all of a sudden in Panera, we had a clash of kingdoms. Right? Now, see, I'm not afraid of the demonically oppressed or demons because they, God rid them of power. Their only power with humans is suggestion. They don't have like a sword, right? They don't have, right, they don't... Think about it for just a second. If we're talking about they used to be angels, what what kind of, in, in the angel world, in the angelic world, God's design of angels, what is their role? They're warriors of God, of the heavenly host, of the general, right? And so that means that, that demons haven't been in on a board meeting in a long time. They don't know what God's doing now, right? So all they can do is suggest counterfeit things now they don't ever suggest crazy counterfeit things they suggest counter, counterfeit has to look really similar right or we would just immediately reject it so it just comes in a really subtle way you know like for instance like we just we just bought this new house and you know i don't i'm i'm changing everything in the house just because that's what i do right but every now and then i'll forget he gave me the house and I think I have to pay for it. Those are really, those comments are really close. One of them sounds like be a good steward of God's money. And the other one sounds like, oh my gosh, you got to pay for it. Do you see how they're never, they're all, the suggestions are really close to the truth. And if I'm not discerning, what would be my next decision with fear thoughts that, oh my gosh, it's all on my own? What would, what would happen to me? I would get on the phone. I'd be, I'd get jobs. <laughs> we got to have jobs in our business. I'd be like, I'd be, I would be, I would be doing all these things as quick as I could to satisfy the suggestion that this house that is way bigger than me is on all on me only. And I'm the only one. <laughs> And this is the, uh, the only money I'm ever going to make is just next week. Do you see? Are you with me? So think about that's what he does. He just counterfeits. And so since the Holy Spirit is activating these gifts, I probably was going to make a different point then. But anyway, and Jesus is working through us to minister the gifts out. Good. It says, but it's the same God who distributes the miracles different kinds of miracles that accomplish different results through each believer's gift and ministry. So there's the three parts of God right there. 
There's the Holy Spirit. Look, look, you're three parts too. This is really important that you understand. So God's three parts. So there it is. The Holy Spirit is distributing gifts. Jesus is doing different ministries, but it's Papa God who accomplishes miracles through the gifts and ministries. That's the goal of the gifts and ministries. To accomplish what? What did Jesus said? I only do what I see the Father doing. Who's the doer? Papa. He's the doer, right? He's the one trying to accomplish. What is my position on earth? I want to see what he's doing. He's doing it here through me. He's doing it there through him. That's why Jesus said, not my will on earth, your will on earth, right? That's why, that's why in the disciples' prayer, we have to keep our heart clean the whole time. Forgive, I just forgive, I just keep forgiving. You need to practice that muscle of forgiving. Pray tomorrow that somebody does something to you that you have to practice the muscle of forgiveness because see, that muscle of forgiveness, it needs to keep going on and on and on. I heard Lance Wall and I say, the more that you know me, the more you'll have to operate in forgiveness. Isn't it good? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a shirt that says that. The more you know me, the more you're going to have to learn to operate in forgiveness. What does that mean? Some of y'all, that was like a sour grape, wasn't it? Because people aren't perfect. You're not. I had to forgive you, right? It should be an operation all the time. I don't have you on my mind all the time. And you don't have me on your mind all the time. We have other stuff we're doing. But this, this is the goal, is to operate our three parts with these three parts of God. It says it really clear. And it says it accomplishes these miracles through the believer's gift and ministry as he energizes and activates them. So that tells me two things. I'll just be walking along in my day, chilling like a villain, doing good. And then all of a sudden, something gets activated. How, what gift in you gets activated when that happens? You know, Cece's a filler, right? I think Lynn's a smeller. She just, I don't know, we'll just be somewhere and she'll be like, do you? And I'll be like, nothing, I've got nothing. Right? How do you get activated in an environment? That's God. He's activating and He's energizing your gift and ministry. Come on, here's a place. This is it. Let's do it. Right? If I spend all my life at home watching TV, there's no sense to advertise, I mean, to activate anything, right? Because what makes it need to be activated? The needs that need miracles. Something needs a miracle. I need to be activated with my gifts, with my ministry. Does this make sense to y'all? Yes. And then it says, every believer again is given continuous, continuous, little this, revelation by the Holy Spirit to benefit not just himself, but all. So that tells me two things. The Holy Spirit is constantly revealing something to you you didn't know. And isn't it exciting when you get that? It's not just for you. Right? That's why we have to tell of it. 
Right? Yes. When Sidwell was going through her ankle reassembly, we didn't know it was going to touch a thing in her heart. We didn't come home and say, well, I'm so glad you hurt your ankle. Now let's work on your heart. Right? It doesn't work that way. But it's through life's experiences that God activates something to reveal something else. I just think this is a really cool plan. If you understand that you have an assignment and that is going to chase you down the rest of your life, you will want to invest in understanding how the Godhead works this assignment out through you. These are, the, these are the things that he works it out with. So then, verse 8, he says, for example, right? I started here last week, and I, I jumped down to 10. Remember, and I talked about, we've been talking about the gifts of discernment for what? Three or four services. But the very first gift is the gift of the word of wisdom. Now, if you look up that word, in the Greek, it is Sophia. So now you could just name your little wisdom girl Sophia. Can't you? Hey, Sophie, let's go. You need Sophie, right? But listen to what it means. It means a lot. It says it's the knowledge and practice of the requisites for godly and upright living. That's its first definition. The knowledge and practice of the standards of God and right living. What does that tell us? Wisdom knows this. Wisdom knows this. That's why there's some people in here that have an extreme gift of wisdom. And so when they see people doing something really random that isn't up to God's standard, what do you think happens to them? They feel grieved. They almost feel injured. They almost feel hurt. Does anybody have what that I'm talking about? Is anybody? Okay. See, look, there's a few people right there. So y'all have this innate gift of wisdom. Now see how I'm going to try to help us, but how we operate with this wisdom is really important. Okay. Cause we've got to have an audience. Do you remember that story I told about John Paul? He said that, remember, he was in line at the grocery store, and there was a lady that the Holy Spirit showed him that she was the cashier and that he wanted to minister to her. But he almost missed it, remember, because while he was in line at the grocery store, that line was really slow. And so what did he start to do? He started to move to another line. That's one of my rules. I never get up the line I pick, I never get out of. And so he's standing in line. The Holy Spirit says, Nope, don't get out of line. You're going to, this lady that's the cashier is going to receive salvation because you're the 12th man. And he said, I've sent 11 other people to prepare her heart for you today. Don't get out of line. So, see, that's wisdom. That's, that's, the, that is the Godhead working in somebody to say it was inconvenient for him. Yeah. Clearly he was in a hurry, right? Clearly he didn't even go in the grocery store thinking that he was going to minister to the cashier. He went in the grocery store for food. Yeah. <laughs> How often is that we're in, right? We're in 
uh, going somewhere, doing our thing. And the great interrupter, right, says, no, no. And so that's a really good story to remember that you don't know if you're number one or if you're number 12. You don't know if that person needs 27. So everything's not about hitting the home run. It's about love. It's about position. It's about activation, right? And so wisdom needs this practice. Now, I'm going to read some more about wisdom, but where do we get this wisdom? That's a really good question. I know you were going to ask that, right? Let's turn over to... uh, Okay, let's just go to Job. I like Job a little bit. You like Job? <laughs> I met this little guy in, that was from Florida. He was in my young adult group, and he was excited. He was a sanguine. He was talking about how he had gotten so much encouragement. He goes, I was reading in Job the other day, and I was like, Job, Job, what is Job? Anyway, <laughs> Job is Job. He didn't know, but that's okay. Job was asking some fun questions in Job 28. He said, but where, oh, where will they find wisdom? Verse 12. And he asked it again, verse 20. So where does wisdom come from? Finally, he gets his answer in verse 23. God alone knows the way to wisdom, and he knows the exact place to find it. He knows everything. He knows where everything is on earth. He sees everything under the heaven. He commanded the winds to blow and measured out the waters. He arranged for rain and set off explosions of thunder. I'm in the message. Explosions of thunder and lightning. He focused on wisdom and made sure it was all set and tested and ready. (laughs) I love that so much. God focused on wisdom and then he passed it out. To mankind. He's already got it. Oh, I feel like I'm not getting this. Then he addressed the human race and he said, here it is. Wisdom. This is it. The fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. What is this fear? It's the awe and wonder of God. Like, this is how I awe God. I'm like, how did you figure all this out? Oh, yeah, you always were. Look at me. There I was using that little human brain of mine. You weren't created. See, I like to position myself as since I'm the created one, I cannot fail. I cannot fail. Because God created me to do this life with him so I cannot mess it up. That saves me a lot of heartache. The fear of messing up equals control. Grab something. Oh, my party girls back there are liking it. I got to grab something if I have fear. See, the fear of anything is, if, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then the fear of fear is the beginning of destruction. 
fear is a tool of the enemy. Fear is a tool. Fear isn't your friend. Fear is the enemy's tool. And he wields that tool through suggestion. That's how he wields it. Think of something that you feared this week. Anybody want to shoot one out to me so I can go? Come on, Phil. Come on. Come on. (laughs) He's like, no, I can't. Yeah, so fear of rejection. Anybody have that this week? Anybody have that common? It's common. Beautiful. So did God give you that? So that's the enemies. So that tool you're acquainted with. Have you ever met, if you're one of those people who feels rejected all the time, have you ever met anybody else that feels rejected? Birds of a feather flock together. What do rejected people talk about? Being rejected. rejected. (laughs) How do they see life? Yeah, anybody not, anybody doesn't have the the spirit of rejection? What do y'all think about when we think about people? Like, let's just say, Cheryl, that you were supposed to write a word. I do this to Cheryl all the time. You were supposed to write a word, and I didn't even put your name on the list. How do you feel? Cheryl doesn't even know. She didn't even know I didn't do that. Doesn't think a thing about it. But the rejected person would be like clocking it. There's, there, they'd be like, they'd have a calendar with everybody's name put on there, and they would call everybody, and they'd say, look. My name's not even on here. Do you see this text? She said I was going to write a word, and she didn't put my name on here. That's the power of suggestion from the enemy. I'm apologizing to Cheryl. She's like, oh, I didn't even notice. Uh, That's why I love you. You didn't even notice. Because why? She trusts. And even if she did figure out that I forgot her, she would tell me. Hey, I didn't get on the list. Did you want me to be on the list? She wouldn't be offended. She wouldn't be hurt. Because why? She would want to make sure she was carrying part of the cart. And she would know I didn't do it on purpose. See, that power of suggestion from the enemy causes us to do so many unnecessary activities. Can you see it? And listen, you're not going to be able to get rid of the power of rejection by telling a bunch of people you feel rejected. It's a suggestion of the enemy. So since it's a tool that works on you, right? right. Then we have to know how to dismantle yeah. the works of the enemy that work on me. Yes. See, everybody in here has something that works on them. Do you want us to say another one? Right. Fear of failure. Well, see, that's because Phil thinks he's God a little bit. See, because when I know that I was a created being, I have no ability to fear fear failure because he's God. See, when I switch roles and I'm like, oh, I think maybe I might be in charge of something. Pretty sure, pretty sure I'm supposed to be in charge of this. Then I fear that I won't be able to accomplish it. I fear that I won't be able to see. And, th- and when I get myself out of that godly role, and see all of that, all of the enemy's tactics are just suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if you believe the suggestions of enough, you'll do actions that will make it come to pass. If you have the fear of rejection, you position yourself to get your to make sure you're rejected. So just search that out. So what is this fear of the Lord? This is the reverential worship. That is the beginning of wisdom. That's what I'm talking about right now. It's putting God in his proper place. Creator, Lord of all, will serve no other, will love no other. He's the rule maker. He's the designer. He's the assignment giver. He's worthy of it all. I'm not, to, I'm not needing to question him. I can trust him. And then I look around my life and make it all measure up to that. When something doesn't go like I want, I say, God, I like how Graham Cook says it. I guess I don't know you very well. In that way, show me who you are. I'm forcing all of my life to be measured by this all of God. All of it. Everything has to run through that filter that he's God. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's what Job told us. So who is looking for it? Right? Then if I go through this awe of God, that's why worship is so important. It's not an elective. It's the pathway to the reverential truth of who God is. The Bible talks about ascribing, assigning. So when I say, you are worthy, right? Why is he worthy? Why is God worthy? Why is God worthy? Why is God worthy? Why is God worthy? To you, why is God worthy? Is it for what he has done for you? He's worthy because of who he is. Not nothing that he did for you. Otherwise, my worship will come from a place that he's got to do something for me to feel like worshiping. Assigning or ascribing or putting worship to God is saying, you don't need to do nothing. See, if I'm not careful, when I feel good and I feel like it, I'll be like, yeah, it was a good day. Yeah, I'll worship God. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're fun and holy and I like you. But if I don't check in with my soul, then worship makes my soul bow. See, that's my job. My spirit man is saying, hey, I'm seated in heavenly places and there's a cool thing going on up here and has nothing to do with what you feel. And he's worthy because that's who he is. He's faithful too. And so that means that all good things happen for you. But that's not why I worship. I don't worship to get. I worship because I'm assigning a name and a value to what's not been created, what always was, what always is, what always will be. That's why. And so when everything is positioned in my heart, that's the beginning of wisdom. I can't have godly wisdom 
when everything else is above that. Agreed? Let's look over at... uh, Let's look at, did I read 1 Peter 4 already? Did I read James already? Yeah, I was reading over Melody a little bit. It says, if anyone longs to be, this is James 1, 5 in the Passion. If anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it. Okay, so there is the simple version of the gift of wisdom. First, I assign God the reverential fear, the allness needed. That's that's a daily repeat. I don't just do that one time. And that's the beginning of wisdom. And then it says, if I don't have wisdom, right? Uh, in the Amplified, it says, if you lack Wisdom to guide you through a decision. Does anybody have a decision coming up this week? Everybody is. I know. Thank you. <laughs> only five people raise their hand, Cheryl. I guess the rest of them aren't making any decisions. You will have decisions this week. Let me help you. I wrote about this on Friday or Saturday. He is to ask our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously without rebuke or blame, and it will be given. So God's not going, you idiot. That's not, he's dying for you to ask him. That's why I tell him I need him, I need him, I need him, I need him, I need him. I say that, that is my one prayer more than any other prayer. He loves it that I need him. It's not a sign of weakness. We're so funny how we've assigned all these things, all the things that we need that are free. We're just like, oh, I'm, I'm only going to do that if I'm desperate. You know, there's other people in the world that are more needy than me. Stop it. That's a lie from the enemy. You need it. You need wisdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know if you know this, but you need wisdom. And you just ask. After the proper assigning of value has been established in your life, you just ask. And remember, I talked about this a while back, about duplicity. Let me read it in context. So if anyone longs to be wise, ask God, and he'll give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom. So it tells us that you have lack of wisdom. Just admit it. Just just inside right now. Just own it. I just don't have wisdom, right? It's not a bad thing. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures. There it is. There's, There's the place where failure doesn't mean anything to him. But he'll overwhelm your failures. You're pre going to fail. It's kind of the way to know you didn't know. And then when you realize you didn't know, do you do something next time or just keep repeating? I know a lot of it just, we just on repeat. I just keep doing that over and over and over. Have you got to the place where you're like, wow, if this isn't working, maybe I could do something different. It says, but make sure you you ask empowered by confident faith 
without doubting that you'll receive, right? So what does that look like? See, if I've assigned, this, this is the process, I'm telling you. If I've assigned him the proper value, then I anticipate I am going to need to ask him for wisdom later today. It doesn't matter if it feels like it's something this big. I ask him about what I'm going to eat. I ask him about what I'm going to wear. I just practice on stuff that doesn't matter, that doesn't actually have to do with your heart. So I can learn his voice over clothes and food. So then when it comes to your heart, I know what his voice sounds like. Listen, you're always going to have to start practicing on something small. Don't act like you're going to have all this wisdom to lead a whole army of people when you don't even have the assigned value correct. And so then I anticipate to later today, I'm going to have a decision that's going to come up. Promise you life's going to happen. You're going to have a decision later that you're not going to know what to do. Now you can wing it. I'm going to wing it and I'm going to see how it goes. Right? Now, like most good Christians, if it blows up, you don't tell anyone. <laughs> right? You, all, you make sure you only come with all the success stories. Right? All your blow-ups are sitting somewhere in the curb by your house. Just shoved them out there on a little, like, with the trash. But you go out there next week and it's still sitting there. They just keep not picking it up. And so, see... When it doesn't work out, that should be an indicator. How many are moved by that indicator? See, we can sear that. We can hide it. I talked about it yesterday that the one thing that Adam and Eve taught us really well is that the response to sin should be hiding. But if you look in Genesis, do you think God didn't know they ate? Of the tree that they weren't supposed to? Was he up there going, shocked? God still came down to walk with them even on the day they disobeyed. So it was the suggestion of the enemy that said sin's response is hiding. God's response was come. I'll be at my place. I'll be at my place here tomorrow waiting on you. Will you come? And Adam and Eve believed the suggestion again. I believe that was the greater sin. Honestly, and that got passed down to humanity that when I sin, I hide and I separate. But Jesus said, in that day of when, when we all get to go to heaven... He'll say, he said, there will, people who, there will be people who say to me, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And it says, Jesus will say, I did not know you intimately. You didn't, that word know is an exchange. You didn't let me know you and I didn't know, and you didn't know me. That tells me I can prophesy and cast out demons without knowing him. See, it was the knowing in Genesis that God wanted to do. That's really what was broken by what happened in the garden. 
What was really broken is that I I choose now with my failure to separate from God. And he's like, want to meet me? Want to meet me in the secret place? And we're like, no, I need, how long do you need? A week, two weeks to feel bad about what you did? See, when I, when I sin and the Holy Spirit convicts me, he's saying, come. He's saying, come close. Come close because I have what you need to live like you've never sinned. It's the enemy's suggestion that says God's mad. Don't, wouldn't you hate to be God and get the bad rap all the time? God still came down. God still showed up at the same appointed time. And he's still showing up in your life every single day. No matter what you've done, what you haven't done right. No matter if you controlled today or you didn't control. No matter whether you asked for wisdom or you didn't ask for wisdom. No matter if you crapped yourself out or you didn't. He's still showing up and he's still saying, come. I have an answer. I have an answer. I have an answer. So make sure that you ask with this confident faith. I'm giving you freedom today to say, I can ask him for something. I may not feel like I deserve it. The enemy may be suggesting to me that you aren't going to follow through. The enemy may be suggesting to me, hey, those people don't like you. The enemy may be suggesting to you, hey, you need to control that. You're fearful, but just still ask. Ask with the faith that he knows. Not the faith that you're going to do it all perfect, but the faith that he knows. He knows the answer. He knows. He knows. He knows. I'm still assigning it to him. The weight of knowing is on him. Not on me. And when I ask with this, this is what it says. When you ask with that, you can expect him to pour out his blessing. When you don't, it says right there, can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord where you're a half-hearted wavering condition that's really are you coming Mendel? that's really what he's asking us today he's saying i've given you the gift of wisdom i've given you instructions on how to get it how to ask for it so you can promise your little heart today that if i'll just ask he is generous 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 generously Lee is his middle name, giving it to us. Come on, Mendel. So good. Generous Lee. <laughs> Generous Lee. Even better than General Lee. Right? Generous Lee. <laughs> oh, such a good message. You know, I've been in the in reading in John lately, and I think I I tried to look it up right before I came up here, but I think it's in John 15. I was looking the other day, and Jesus says, I think I think it's a total of four times just in that one chapter, talks about us asking how we can ask the Father. You can ask the Father because of your relationship with me. You can ask the Father directly. I don't even have to ask for you. And you can ask, and you can keep asking. And I love that the, that particular one where it says, you can ask the Father for anything because of me and because of my name, in my name, because of my relationship with you. And you can keep asking and your joy will be limitless. And I've been just trying to practice that, like connecting my asking to the fact that he said your joy will be limitless. 
And I, something he's been flushing out in me is that I realize I don't ask him for things sometimes because I'm afraid that if I ask for something, that's expressing a need. That's expressing a vulnerability. That's saying, I don't have this and I need it. And that's scary, that's scary sometimes to admit that you need something that you don't have. And so to avoid feeling like I don't have something that I need, I will avoid asking. No, I didn't know that was going on, but that's what he's one of the things he's been showing me. You know, he's so good to show us those things. I mean, you know that in your own relationships, it's vulnerable to ask somebody, hey, you know, could you do this for me? Could you talk to me this way? Could you go and get something for me? Because there are those things that she mentioned, fear of rejection, fear of being criticized or condemned or whatever. So we avoid asking sometimes because it's uncomfortable. But Jesus came for the purpose of us being able to ask and ask directly and with this confidence that she talked about today. And that is the only way we're going to get wisdom is asking. And so it's so critical that we ask. And we partner our asking with faith that our joy will be limitless. Our joy will be limitless. I've been trying to practice this on a daily basis. Just when I wake up and the first thing I think of that Oh, man, you know, it comes in that form of, I hope so-and-so happens. Gosh, I sure hope we can figure that out. That's how the thought will come sometimes. And it's like, okay, that's powerless for one thing. I sure hope we can figure that out. And I'm like, wait a minute. You said it just one chapter. He says it four times. You can ask, you can ask, you can ask, you can ask. That's not even the verse, that, that's not even the same chapter that she read from today. It's a totally different one. He wants us to ask. And so we can ask and we can partner it with joy. So I've been practicing asking and trying to put words to it and be specific. And then finishing, wrapping that up with, and my joy will be limitless today. I know that my joy will be limitless today. And so I get my expectation up there. Now, that's not really what I was going to share with you. That was a bonus. But um, <laughs> I wanted, I had to share because I really want to honor the Holy Spirit um, because I asked him a question the other night and I asked him to give me a dream to show me more, to reveal the answer to me. And he did. But then I got distracted by the dream, another factor of the dream, and I didn't remember that I'd asked him the question the night before. So he was really good to bring it back to me yesterday. So I'm going to be sure and tell you today. So there's this verse in John 17 and in 17 verse 13. And John 17 is when Jesus is praying for his disciples and all of his future believers. He's praying over his people and he's talking to the Father. And he's saying basically now is the time to to for me to be glorified. Now is the time I'm going to be leaving them, so please protect them. And he's praying all of this stuff over us, right? So in verse 13 in the Passion Translation, he says, But now I'm returning to you, so Father, I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you, so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. Now, I love the word because, you know, the... The, this is a living, breathing, active word that can have definitely more than one meaning and speak to us in a different way, depending on, on what's in our heart, what we're needing at that time. So this part um, where Jesus says that they would experience and enter into my joyous delight in you, my joyous delight in you. And I felt the Holy Spirit draw me into focusing on the fact 
on what Jesus felt for the Father. What did Jesus feel for the Father? How much delight did Jesus feel? Like, so when Jesus, I like to make it, you know, paint the picture and walk around with it and really think about it. So I'm like, so Jesus is on earth, and he in his heart is filled with overwhelming joy and delight for who you are, God, for who you are. And I just tried to really press into that and, and picture that. And then I thought, well, it says next that, that it is fulfilled in them. So that's it would be fulfilled in us, right? So I thought in, this, in the way this reads here, it doesn't say really that, that we would just have joy also in the Father. It's that His joy in the Father would be fulfilled in us. So it's a slightly different angle, you know, and I started picturing that concept of, you know, that Jesus came with this passion, with this purpose, out of this joy and delight for the Father and his desire for us to be reunited with him, and that it's not yet fulfilled, right? It's not yet fulfilled. Like, Jesus's joy was not yet fully satisfied yet. So what would that be? What would that be? I picture it as, you know, Jesus came and planted himself as a seed. We have a song, and I've written a word in the past about he was planted in the soil that we were living in. And you plant a seed for something to grow, to blossom out of it. And so when you plant the seed, your vision for the seed is not yet fulfilled, right? It's got to grow, and it's fully satisfied, and it's fulfilled in its full state, right? So I started asking him, what would that look like for your joy and delight, Jesus, in the Father to be fulfilled in me? What I just tried to press into the scripture, you know, what would it look like for your delight in the Father to be fulfilled in my life? And so, you know, with me on that, you're seeing it from the angle I'm seeing it. Okay, so then I, I was going to sleep and I said, Holy Spirit, give me a dream to show me what that would look like. Show me what that would look like. So I went to sleep, and I had a dream, and I the dream that I had, I was, I guess I was in a funeral parlor type thing, and there was a woman being buried, and we were deciding what to put in the coffin with her. We were deciding what she should be dressed in and what articles of her, what belongings of hers we should bury with her. Now, that's not something I ever think about, uh, for one thing, in the natural, but, and I don't think that's that customary in our culture to bury things with people, you know, in this, this day and time. And so I felt like what he was saying was that it spoke to the death of our, our old man. You know, when you're, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and we get to be, we are co-crucified with him, we're co-buried with him, and then we are co-resurrected with him. And so the life we're living out now is the resurrected life. But there was a buried part, a buried old man, an old person that was buried at that time. And I felt like what the Holy Spirit was saying is that there are some things that we need to throw in the coffin of our old man and bury them once and for all. We need to let it go. And, you know, and um, Lenny was giving that word, a powerful word about the prodigals. And, you know, that's what the prodigals are. All that they're doing is trying to resurrect the old man and see if there's anything there that's still worth fighting for, fighting to keep. That's what they're doing. And 
they're resurrecting. They're like, let me open up this coffin and see what's in there because that might actually make me happier. You know, that might satisfy my needs or whatever. So, so that's all that they're doing. And in fact, in the dream, the second casket I saw had one of our prodigals in it. And so I just partner with that word, with, with Lenny's word, that the old man is being buried. The old man is being let go and put to death and to let, to, allowed to stay in death. And there's a partnership happening right now with the resurrected life for those prodigals. And so it made me think that one, it took a whole nother day, right, for the Holy Spirit to remind me, hey, that you asked me that question. So what does it look like for Jesus' joy in the Father to be fulfilled in us is when we really let that go. We let the old man die. We let the stuff that's supposed to go with the old man be buried. Throw it in the coffin. And so I feel like that's something he's saying to all of us right now. I'm seeking that out for myself. What do I need to throw back in the coffin? What have I taken out of the coffin and I'm trying to partner with and use? And, you know, that's what we do when we don't ask for wisdom, when we don't utilize what the, the access to the Father that Jesus gave us, then we will pull out a tool that we used to have that we got from our old life because it's all we think we have. And so out of desperation, we'll pull it right back out of that coffin. And he's asking us, I just feel like the timing of it, I realized today as Tisa was preaching, the timing of it is for the purpose of he's calling us into wisdom and to operate with the gift of wisdom that he's made available to us. And if we will let go of the old thing, we can ask for and receive the new thing that is, of course, the better thing. So I just invite you all to partner with that and ask him yourself, what do I need to throw back in that coffin? Because Jesus, your joy and delight in the Father, I want it to be fulfilled in my life. I want it to be fulfilled in my life. And so, Papa, I just say thank you tonight for the dream. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're so cool that even in that very example, I asked you for a picture, I asked you for a dream, and you gave it to me, and even when I missed it, you brought it back around. You're so good. You're so good that you keep honoring. You so honor our requests of you. You so honor what we ask of you. You so honor when we come to you with a need, with a... with a um and an unmet need with a um, curiosity, with a question. You so honor that because you're so delight to, to meet with us in that place. So I thank you, first of all, for the dream and for the answer to that question. And I thank you for, the, for what you are doing in each person's heart, Holy Spirit, that you're making this a personal, uh, a personal matter that we can search out to throw what we need to throw back in the coffin. So I thank you that that, is, that means that you're bringing us into a greater freedom, that you're connecting us with an, a power source that's not a hand-me-down power source. It's not a hand-me-down or a, a second uh, recycled, repurposed tool from the past that we're trying to operate with, but you're trying to connect us with the upgraded tool that is full of power, full of full Holy Spirit, Father God power on this earth, that you're trying to empower our gifts with wisdom instead of the things of old. So I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus. We love you, Papa God. And we just say yes, 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 and yes, and amen to you and all that you're doing on the earth in this day. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.